You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. That shade must be really, really nice back there. Thought I'd just start by throwing a little shade. Happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there. And just as we talk about on Mother's Day, I feel like what often happens in the church is like, Mother's Day, we're really nice to moms, and then Father's Day, we dog on dads. And I, I know it even today, like it's a complicated day for a lot of people. And so whether or not you're celebrating today, whether or not today is filled uh, with maybe a mix of celebration and grief, longing or loss, I just want you to hear from me that, that we see you, and more importantly than that, your heavenly Father, your perfect Father sees you here today. And we love you. So we can celebrate and we can hold space for people for whom this is a complicated day today. And so if you've uh, been with us here the last couple weeks or so, you know that we've been in a new series called Kingdom Culture, where we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And one of the things that we're doing with this series, I'm talking about this every week, is we have this companion devotional. If you have not had a chance to grab a physical copy yet, we have some available under the tent, uh, after service, you can feel free to grab those and just work your way through this series alongside us through this devotional. So my kids and I, we have recently picked up a new hobby, uh, which is kind of watching videos on YouTube. I don't know if you can technically call that a hobby. And uh, the videos that we've been obsessed with starting to watch are these wildlife caretaker videos. And so anything to do with animals or even reptiles, specifically snakes, we've become obsessed with watching these snake care videos on YouTube. And so one of our our favorite channels is a channel called Chandler's Wildlife, where it's basically just this guy who takes care of venomous snakes for a living. So he's got vipers, he's got rattlesnakes. I can see on your faces right now, some of you are, uh, I do not have a snake in the back with me here this time, just so you're aware. You remember a year and a half ago, I had a snake on stage with me. Not today. But what's so interesting about this channel for us is we've just been learning all kinds of different things about these different reptiles. Like, for example, did you know that a rattlesnake specifically, after it's thought to be dead, still has a bite reflex in its head even up to 60 minutes after it's dead? In other words... You can decapitate a rattlesnake's snakehead, and it can still strike, and it can still bite while it maintains that reflex to bite for an hour after it's killed. Literally, there have been deaths in Arizona, of course it's Arizona, uh, because of this. People thought a snake was dead, they come up on it, and it still can bite, it still can strike even after its head is decapitated. And as soon as I learned that, I began to think to myself, man, that is the perfect picture of the spiritual enemy that every single one of us have. You see, Satan, oftentimes throughout the scriptures, is compared to a snake. 
And it was on the cross that Jesus actually decapitated the snake head. Genesis 3 says he crushed the head of the snake. But make no mistake about it, there is a season where even the decapitated snake head of Satan can still strike. You and I right now are living in that 60-minute period where Satan still does have the power to strike. Even though he's defeated, even though he's been crushed, he still has the power to strike. Now that I've all thoroughly creeped you out, we are going to be talking about Satan here on Father's Day. Why, you might ask? Because I see him rearing his ugly head all over the place right now. I see Satan attacking families. I see Satan attacking marriages. I see Satan attacking mental health, physical health relationships. And, and here's the deal. I've never been the guy that's like every bad thing that happens, like I stub my toe. Oh, demonic attack. That's not me. But I will say this. From what I've observed, especially over the last six months, there is a counterattack from Satan that is happening on our community, in our families. In the words of the great wise sage Michael Scott, I've never been superstitious, but I've always been a little stitious right? But here's the thing. Jesus believed that Satan was real and active and deadly to the point where even Jesus told parables about the work of Satan and gave us roadmaps for how to see him defeated in our life. And I'll just say this. My family is not immune to the attacks of Satan either. We've seen Satan attack even our family over the last few months, very, very specifically, strategically, and consistently. And yet Jesus gives us a roadmap for how to see Satan overcome in our lives, for how to see Satan overcome in a church, in a community, and in our families. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about Satan, but make no mistake about it, this sermon is not about Satan. It is about the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so let's look at, together, Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 26. Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 26. It says this. Then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus. And he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, you know, anytime you see the word Pharisees, something bad's about to happen. They said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus thoroughly creeped them out and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself, how then... Will his kingdom stand? So this is what's happening here at this point in Jesus' ministry. He is incredibly controversial at this point. Because here you have this guy who is forgiving sins on his own authority, who is healing broken bodies, casting out demons. That's what happens here. And so nobody at this point who has spent any time with Jesus is debating whether or not miraculous things are happening through him. He is raising people and 
casting out demons and healing people right in front of their very eyes. That part of it is not up for debate. Even the Pharisees see how powerful Jesus is. The thing, though, that they're debating is what the source of that power is. Where is his power coming from? And what he's accused of here in this moment is his power must come from Satan. And the reason they're so set on this is because if Jesus truly is the Messiah, if he truly did come from God, then all of the other things that he said are also true about the nature of this new kingdom that he was bringing in. Like if Jesus was sent from God, this meant even for the religious leaders of his day that their very systems of religion that were keeping people away from God were threatened by the person and the work of Jesus. And so they come to him and they say, this cannot be the Messiah, this cannot be a man sent from God, this has to be a representative of Satan. And the accusations leveled against Jesus are still alive and well today. You see, all the Pharisees are saying here is, he's somehow not who he said he was. He's somehow less than who he claims to be. And and we do the same thing all over the place today. It may not be as explicit, but it can sound like things like, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, but nothing more. And what Jesus wants us to understand is that when we take that attitude of neutrality towards him, passivity, or somehow believe he's less than who he claimed to be, we're actually taking the side of hostility towards Jesus. Let me say that a different way here. With an enemy like Satan, passivity towards Jesus is the same thing as hostility towards Jesus. Satan is that dangerous of an enemy. Sure, I'll I'll go to church on Sunday, But Jesus doesn't really change the type of dad I am on Monday. With an enemy like Satan, any kind of passivity towards Jesus is hostility towards Jesus. Sure, Jesus lived a great life and he died a martyr, but he didn't really resurrect from the dead. Passivity towards Jesus is hostility towards him. Here's the thing, either everything Jesus said is true or nothing Jesus said is true. By his own words, we cannot take a position of passivity or neutrality when it comes to Jesus. And so when this this accusation is leveled against him by these Pharisees that you must have come from Satan, he's like, you guys are a bunch of idiots. Like, if Satan sent me, why would Satan send me to undo the things that Satan is wanting to do? Why would I cast out demons in the name of Satan? That makes no sense. That's like a civil war in Satan's kingdom. In fact, if you remember, Abraham Lincoln repeated these words of Jesus to the United States. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It it makes no sense for them to level this accusation against him. And yet I think there's a word for us here today to pay attention to. A few months ago, uh, many of you watched the Super Bowl with us. Who watched the Super Bowl a couple months ago? So the Chiefs versus the Eagles, right? And something in this past Super Bowl happened that had never happened in the history of all Super Bowls ever before. 
Does anybody remember what that was? Two brothers playing against each other for the very first time, right? You had Jason Kelsey, the center for the Eagles, and you had Travis Kelsey, the tight end for the Chiefs. You guys are impressed with me right now. I Googled this this morning. And in the middle of these two rival teams, you have this innocent lady right here, Mama Kelsey, the mother. Can you imagine being in her position? I mean, first and foremost, it's like super exciting for her to be in that position. But then the follow-up question to that would be, well, who are you rooting for? Which team are you for? Right? And even when you asked her, she's like, well, you know, I like the Eagles because Jason has my grandkids, but Travis is this favorite child, so I don't really know who to root for. And if you remember, she showed up famously with a jacket that had half Chiefs and half Eagles on it. Here's the thing with Jesus. This cannot happen spiritually in our lives. That according to Jesus, there are no Mama Kelsey's in the kingdom of God. I mean, there are, but like in the sense, you get what I'm saying. Spiritually, this cannot happen. You cannot have one foot on both teams. You can't. And yet what we often do is we often think to ourselves, okay, so there's Satan's kingdom and his domain over there. And there's God's kingdom and his domain over here. And so you have the Satanists over here with Satan and maybe targets over there too. And then, just kidding. And and then you have the uber-religious people and God's people over here. But then there's like this, this neutral ground that a lot of people live in. There's this like neutral place between God and Satan. And what Jesus is saying here is absolutely not There is no neutral space between God and Satan. Scripture says that you and I were born into sin. Conceived in iniquity is what it says. Which means that by default, to not actively choose the side of God is to choose the kingdom of Satan. That you cannot have a foot in both worlds. You, you cannot be neutral about the person of Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, where is your own heart divided? Are there areas of your life where you just come and you say, I've given up on this area of my life? There's no hope here. There's no chance of restoration. Where are your thoughts divided? Where are you struggling to separate out truth and lie in your own mind? Where is your home divided? You know, I said this earlier, but man, I see the devil on the prowl for marriages and mental health right now in this community. Men, I want to speak to you for a moment. This is going to be a hard word for the guys, and I hope you know I I say this out of a lot of love. But I believe the scripture calls both men and women to leadership. That's evidence throughout the whole book to spiritual leadership. But when I look at the landscape of our world, the church, even this community, 
women are far less passive about Jesus than men are in this community. Men, where have you given into passivity about the person of Jesus? Where are you neutral? Men, where are the men who are willing to stand up and say, not in my house, not on this watch. This house belongs unapologetically to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Satan has no voice here. He has no dominion here. This home, this family, this community belongs to Jesus. Where are the people willing to stand up and say, Wayland, and all of the problems with addiction that we see around here, and all of the footholds that Satan has here, where is the church willing to stand up and say, this dominion does not belong to Satan? It belongs to the person of Jesus. You see, guys, the New Testament is clear. Satan's domain right now is not in hell. The New Testament over and over and over again says his domain is here on the earth. That he is like a roaming lion seeking who he may devour. First John says this about Satan. It says the whole world is under control of the evil one. New Testament writer calls the devil... New Testament writer Paul calls the devil the God of this age who blinds the minds of people to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. You have an enemy at work behind the scenes who will prey on vulnerability, who will prey on weakness. Where in your life is Satan getting a foothold? Where in your marriage? Where in your family? Famous theologian John Wesley said this, and I've shared this quote before, and I'll probably share it again because I love it. It's one of my favorites. He says this, I resolve to dedicate all of my life to God. All my thoughts, all my words, all my actions, being thoroughly convinced there was no medium, there is no middle ground, but that every part of my life must either be a sacrifice to God or to the devil. Can any serious person doubt of this or find a medium between serving God and serving the devil? What he's saying is there is areas of your life that need to be reclaimed from the work of Satan and reclaimed for the person of Jesus. When I look at my own life and the different struggles that I've had with mental health over the years, 2018 for me was a a really, really hard year in the area of mental health. Depression at an all-time high. And I remember meeting with the spiritual counselor throughout that whole year. And there's a simple prayer that he taught me to pray over my life. And I'm not kidding, in the five years since, I have prayed this prayer thousands of times over my own mind, over our community, over my family. And even in the midst of praying that prayer, I've seen Satan rear his ugly, decapitated snake head in our lives, in our church. But more importantly than that, I've seen the power and the protection of God over us. The prayer is this. Father, you, at, you tell us that anything we ask in the name of Jesus will be given to us. And so in the name of Jesus, Father, I ask you to bind the enemy in my life. Father, silence his voice of shame, his language of lies, his tactics of fear so that I can see you clearly. When was the last time you asked God to bind Satan 
in your life. We go back to the text here, Matthew 12, and we continue reading on to what Jesus says here. I want you to see what he says in these next verses. He says, but if it, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, right, so he's still in this debate, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, everything else I've said is true as well. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees that God has entered the strong man's house. God has entered Satan's domain here on the earth and he has bound the strong man by the power and the victory of the cross. And he is plundering plundering Satan's house. In the words of 1 John 3, 8, it says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, I love this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Who is Satan plundering? What is Satan plundering? Or I'm sorry, Jesus plundering? You and me. He has entered the strong man's house. He has bound him by the authority of the Spirit of God and he is taking back men and women and kids from the domain of Satan and into the domain of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus does. This is what he wants to do over your life, over your family, over this city, over our community. Jesus has come into the strong man's house. He has bound the strong man. The strong man has no power and no authority in this place. The problem is many of us won't take advantage of the weapons that God has given us in this warfare. The problem is many of us are passive or indifferent about the, the war that is waged. You know, when I think about this, I think about the stuff that God's been doing in this community over the last six months. Like, you do not baptize 50 people in a church like ours without there being some counterattacks from Satan. Even you look around our country right now, you have the Asbury Revival. I see God doing so many cool things in Gen Z specifically. Gen Z, you may not see this, but Gen Z right now is being mobilized for the person of Jesus in this, in this country. Radically. Like my generation hasn't seen. And so Satan is counterattacking because he knows he's losing. He's counterattacking in so many different ways. Martin Luther famously said that where God built a church, there the devil would also build a chapel. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus believed there was a war at play in our lives. And I see this. Man, do I see this. Do you see it? Do you see Satan on the attack right now? You see him in your family? You see him in your own mind? It's been devastating for our family just the ways that we've seen him attack the last few months. And I know because I sit with so many of you that it's been devastating for so many of yours as well. But God has provided us a way through. 
God is pouring out his spirit and Satan is counterattacking. And the question for each of us is, do I fear more? Do I fear Satan more than I trust the spirit of God to protect? Do I have more fear of Satan than I have of God's spirit to protect and restore and upbuild? See, Jesus closes out this conversation with some of the most striking words that he ever says in verses 30 and 32. He says this, whoever is not with me is against me. In other words, there is no passive neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. There are no Mama Kelsey's. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You know what he's saying with that line there? He's saying whoever is not participating in the evangelizing and bringing of other people to know and love and trust Jesus is actually actively scattering people away from me. So he takes it that seriously. And then he goes on and he says, therefore I tell you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Jesus closes this by clearly drawing the line in the sand. And he's saying, choose whose kingdom you belong to. He says one thing, he says, those who speak against the Son of Man will be forgiven. He's actually prophesying about his own death that would come. He's actually inviting the Pharisees to see, hey, there is still hope for you. There is still hope for you to repent, for you to turn. Right? What did Jesus, what happened when Jesus was on the cross and people were shouting insults against him, spitting on him, mocking him, speaking against the Son of Man? What were his words to his Father? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But then he said, There is a sin that won't be forgiven. And this sin actually terrifies a lot of people. I've had a lot of conversations with you guys, even about this specific verse. Because what tends to happen is we do an inventory of our lives and we think, have I ever spoken anything against the Holy Spirit? And I get really nervous and I get really scared. But what scholars believe Jesus is saying here is that it is those who have chosen slowly and consistently throughout their lives to align themselves against the kingdom of God, to align themselves with the person and stand in solidarity with Satan. This sounds like I don't need to be forgiven. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. This sounds like indifference towards Jesus, passivity towards him. Jesus himself is drawing the line, and I got to tell you guys, this is an incredible act of grace on Jesus' part. People will often ask, how could a loving God send people to hell? I would say this, how can a loving God allow Satan to have one square inch of his kingdom domain? He is separating. He is drawing the line. And he is asking the question, whose lives belong to my kingdom? I, uh, I told the band earlier that I didn't really write the end of this sermon because um, I didn't really know where it would land. But I, I think uh, I know where we need to land here today. So I want to invite the band up as, as we close here this morning. And here's what I want to do. I want to offer an invitation for you guys. Maybe you're here today and there's an area of your life 
that you feel like Satan is attacking hardcore. I was talking to a friend about this earlier this week who was in the military. But one of the things that he said to me is he said, when you are on the front lines and you're fighting in a war, you're either actively engaged in combat or you're working on your fighting position. You're either actively engaged in combating the enemy or you're constantly perfecting and working on your fighting position. Did you know that there is a fighting position spiritually? That there is a posture and there is a position that we can take in our lives to see the enemy silenced, to see the enemy defeated, to see the enemy cast away. There is a fighting position that you have available to you. And the fighting position that you have available to you is on your knees in prayer. That's where this war is won and lost. The Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your child, your neighbor, they're not your enemy. Your boss, your coworker, they're not your enemy. You have an enemy and his name is Satan. And he's already defeated. He's already lost. Revelation says that the accuser will be cast down. He will be trampled on once and for all. But in the meantime, let me grab my Bible here a second. In the meantime, we wage war. We wage war against Satan on our knees, in our worship, through the reading of his word. The, the place that God is drawing me to right now is Ephesians 6. And it's the full armor of God. You know, it's interesting because we had some members of our prayer team feel led this last weekend to just come to our house and, and pray the perimeter of our house and to declare our home as domain for Jesus, to bind the voice of the enemy. For some reason, even in this park, over the last month, I've just felt God just saying, Brad, you need to be prayer walking this park regularly. And so that's what I've been doing just prayer walking, declaring this place has no room for Satan to have a foothold. This place belongs to Jesus. It's no mistake that we are talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan in the middle of our community. What more powerful way for us to make a declaration as a church to say Wayland, Michigan does not belong to the kingdom of darkness. Satan will not get a foothold here. Jesus is king here in this community. In Ephesians, we're given a roadmap for this. We're given the full armor of God, and this is what it says. Thanks, wind. <laughs> says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Stand, therefore, Having fastened on the belt of truth, 
I love that. The devil's native language is lies, and Jesus says we combat that with truth. He goes on to say, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In other words, we do not let fear of Satan paralyze the steps of faith that we take, that we continue moving forward, we continue taking ground for the kingdom of God and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. Friends, our weapon is our worship. Our weapon is our prayer. Our weapon is this word. And God has given this to us to combat the lies of the enemy. So this morning, I want to just offer an invitation to you. I know some of you here need to put a stake in the ground in your own lives. We're not playing games here. You need to put a stake in the ground in your own lives because you have experienced the attack of the enemy in different ways in this last season. And what you need more than anything else this morning is the protection of the spirit of the living God. And so what we're going to do is I want to invite our prayer team up here. We have several members of our prayer team that are up here in front that are just going to be lined up ready and able and willing and wanting to pray for you, wanting to go to war with you and for you against the lies of the enemy. And I just want to ask you this question as we close here this morning. Where do I need to ask for God's protection from Satan's destruction in my life? Where do I need protection from the spirit of the living God against Satan's destruction in my life? I know there's an area that you're thinking of right now for you. And here's what I want to do. I want to invite all of us to stand as we worship. So go ahead and stand right now. And during this song, if you are here and you know there is an area where Satan is attacking your home, your family, your life, your mind, I want you to come up here and be prayed over, prayed for, prayed with by people who love you so much. And my hope is that we have some bold and brave men and women who are not willing to settle for passivity when it comes to Jesus. Passivity is staying in your seat when you know God is nudging you to come forward to be prayed over. I have seen God's protecting work so many times more than Satan's destroying power when we come to him in prayer. And so this morning, will you put a stake in the ground to do warfare against the lies and the schemes of the enemy and declare your life, your home belongs to Jesus.